With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right. How are you guys doing? This is going to be a little bit different to what you guys are normally used to. We used to just talk about uh, Russia, Ukraine all the time. I'm going to continue to do that. Clearly, I mean, that's something I'm going to do on the YouTube channel. Uh, it's more it's more of a visual aspect type deal. And I wanted to give you guys something you guys can listen to on your way to work or sitting at work, I guess, if you're bored. Uh, this is clearly a new series and I'm going to be doing it weekly. I was going to actually tell you guys to leave a comment down below, but there's no way for that to happen because this is clearly only on podcast networks. I'm going to start off by doing it maybe once or twice a week. It's just depending on how, how much you guys actually enjoy it and actually listen to it. I, I can see the back end, like how long you guys listen to it. So I'll have somewhat of an idea. Um, but anyway, it will start off by just doing audio exclusive for right now. I might turn it into a video. Uh, type deal maybe I don't I don't know uh, maybe something I'll release like weeks after the audio but I'm gonna cover literally anything like literally anything and most of these stories uh, are gonna be kind of wild really out there for some reason they haven't got a lot of press I don't really know why uh, there's no minimum time frame for each one of these episodes but I'm shooting for around an hour a piece to give you guys something like I said to listen to when you're on your way to work there'll be no minimums as amount of stories we talk about per episode and honestly is just a new thing and I hope you guys do enjoy it so if you do, please share the word. Uh, rating this podcast is a big deal. So if you guys can just take a quick second, review it and rate it. Oh my God, that, that helps me out significantly. So right out the gate, this is the one that actually spurred the entire thought behind this thing. Okay, the entire thing. So this thing is coming out of New York. Now this, it's, this, this whole entire series has started off crazy events. Okay, now this one... Did not make the, the main headline news, but inside of New York City, a woman who was being held hostage wrote, please call the police on her Grubhub order. Yes, her Grubhub order. Now, the crazy thing is, is this restaurant that actually received it just started using Grubhub like a month ago. They didn't even utilize Grubhub. They started utilizing Grubhub just because of the pandemic and they had to actually fire some of their employees that were delivery drivers. Now, my initial thought was, how did she even get time to write and make a Grubhub order? You know, you're being held hostage. Like, why, what, what the heck? What is going on? Was this individual who was keeping this, this individual captive, were they hungry, trusted her to make food order for the both of them? Like, like really? Like, think about that. If you, if you were holding someone hostage, we'd be like, you know what? You, I, will, you, will you please order me a sandwich? I'm pretty hungry from your own phone. Like, what? I, kind of strange. Uh, yeah, why, why did she even have her phone if she was being held hostage? Anyways, a 24-year-old woman who was being held hostage after being raped by an individual who was holding her hostage... Uh, he legitimately thought he was going to get food instead of he, he she wrote this note and it, on this note, by the way, I don't know if her first language is English, but it said this, this is verbatim, please call the police, his going to call me when you delivered, come with cones, please don't make it obvious. Uh, I don't know, she just jacked up a lot of the uh typing just because she was under distress, which could be a thing. Uh, but anyway, the place that she ordered was called the Chipper Truck. The Chipper Truck, which has had actually really good reviews, by the way. Now, it's on Google. I went to go look them, look it up. And I do give them props for being able to actually understand the message. Because without it saying, please call the police, I would have honestly just thought her second language was English. And honestly, it might just be, I don't, I don't know. The thought that she might be asking for, cone. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? If I, I can reread this. I'll reread it for you guys. Please call the police. His 
going to call me when you deliver it. It's actually, it's so difficult to read actually. Uh, come with cones. Please don't make it obvious. You know, cones, uh, cops clearly, but anyway, police showed up and arrested a 32 year old male. Yeah. His name was Kamoy Royal. This is the same person, by the way, this same person is also linked to another sexual assault that actually happened days earlier. So he's actually being charged with attempted criminal sexual act in first degree, sexual abuse, first degree, strangulation in the second degree. That is just for the, for the first incident you guys just heard. Now there's a second incident that there's two other charges. Okay. Predatory sexual assault, first degree, rape, criminal sexual act, and sexual abuse. Okay, he's being held right now on $200,000 bond, which I think personally is too low, but apparently the judge must think he can't handle the bail to get himself out. Uh, anyway, but after these acts, you think that a person would have committed within 48 hours time frame, they couldn't get out like and do that again? Uh, this is a good example as to why being soft on criminals inside certain states like New York isn't a good thing. He was actually let out and then committed... Uh, a worse crime two days later. Honestly, who knows what would have actually happened or ended up with if it wasn't for the restaurant using Grubhub. Like, think about that. It's kind of crazy. A, a restaurant using Grubhub saved a woman's life, essentially. You know what I mean? Grubhub also gave the restaurant $5,000 reward for their help in getting this person caught. I <laughs> I, really, I don't really entirely know what the... the I don't know. That, one's, that one's really, really nuts to me. And... Uh, I, it was just, I thought it was something to start off with. And the next one we're actually be talking about is actually we're going to rotate over to Japan. So we're going to move on to a next one, like I said, that takes place in Japan. It's actually a man who gambled away. Yes, he gambled away an entire town's COVID relief fund when it was wired to his bank account. His entire, like, whoa. Okay, this is a 24-year-old man named Sho Togochi was mistakenly wired $360,000 from a COVID relief fund that was originally supposed to be spent on pandemic relief for low-income households. Mr. Taguchi is an unemployed resident of a town of Abu in western Japan, and they were holding him on charges of computer fraud. So he got... <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to really think about this one. So this is what they got him. They hit him with with computer fraud. There's 463 low-income households inside of the city that in Mr. Abu... Uh, excuse me, in Abu, in which was just as a population of 3,300. Uh, each one of these residents was supposed to receive $780. So I guess 360 grand is just a bit more from what he was anticipating. Imagine being being inside of your your house or I guess your apartment or whatever they're living in these low-income housing areas. Uh, you're, you're used to getting $780 a month from the government. All of a sudden, you get smacked with $360,000. You got to ask yourself, how could this happen? You know, like literally this is... This is this is what I this is what I did, and I also wonder why he decided to gamble it away instead of using it for something a bit more useful. But I guess he was just trying to hit a quick lick before having to return the money. I mean, you gotta you gotta realize. I don't, I don't care if you're any any person knows that if a government agency is giving you money, you're not going to be able to keep it if it's like what was he? I don't know. He was just trying to hit a quick lick. Is all I can think of. Uh, any any human being in that position would probably try to do that at least uh, if they at least it wasn't spent on drugs for all we know. No, that's, that's one good way to look at it. Once to spend on a bunch of drugs and alcohol, he tried to gamble it away. So there is, there is that. Uh, anyways, they, they apparently submitted a single transfer request for a total amount to this gentleman whose name just so happens to be the first one on the list. Now, this is kind of funny part because he knew he clearly didn't earn this money and it came from the town because they sent him a <laughs> The town actually sent him a request to return the money. And he actually retired. <laughs> like, it's hard for me to say this out loud. He denied them. 
the request. Like he said, you know what? You gave me this money. It's going to be mine. <laughs> it's mine now. The town actually had, had to end up suing the gentleman. Yes, the town. The town of Japan had to actually sue the gentleman to get the money back they accidentally sent him. Like, <laughs> oh, I thought we lived in a clown world in America at the time. Anyway, his arrest was actually based on the alleged transfer of 4 million yen, which is, which is roughly 31,000 American dollars into an account believed to be an online gambling site. So I don't entirely know why he's only getting charged with less than 10% of what was given to him because the police never actually said how much was transferred, but they believed most of it was. So not only was this guy a homeless man, but he's a degenerate gambler who is not really good at gambling. So anyways, the gentleman lawyer said that he had transferred all the money into an offshore online casino and his client was sorry and hoped to return the money in incremental amounts. Okay. Incremental amounts, 330 some thousand dollars. You know, this is only reminds me of a story I actually read about a month ago or so here. It actually happened in the States that I, I bet a lot of you guys and gals don't even know about. It's actually a bit worse than this one. This guy talking about like, like getting rid of money for three hundred thirty thousand, uh, which is a lot of money uh, by gambling. Now these people I'm about to talk about, I had to go look it up. Uh, it took me two seconds to find it. By the way, a man named Richard uh, Avizan and his wife Marietta Terabellan. Kind of strange. Uh, both their last names aren't the same. Uh, they have children. You're going to find out here in a second. They were both facing prison time for their role in a massive COVID relief fraud scheme. Yes, a massive one, by the way. Uh, when they cut off their electronic tracking bracelets and fled their California home. So they'd already been caught. They put ankle bracelets on them and then they cut them off, which I have no, you know, I have no idea how you cut off an ankle bracelet. Uh, I thought those things were really tight on your leg. I, they must have jacked up their ankles trying to do so. Also, they, they abandoned their three teenage children while doing so, and they left a typewritten note for their kids whose ages are 13, 15, and 16. Now, this note has actually said, we will be together once again someday. This is not a goodbye, but a brief break from each other. Now, me being a parent myself, there is not a dollar amount on, on this planet in the world that would actually make me risk myself being thrown in prison for life. So just imagine having to type this letter out to your kids, letting them know that you won't be able to see them anymore. Even more so at that age, because I don't know if you guys realize this, but I mean, at a, as a parent, you know that these ages of the kids is probably when they actually need guidance in their life the most. So that letter was actually written to their kids. And then three months later, a judge sentenced the parents to 17 years for the father and six years for the mother. They apparently carried out a scheme to steal more than $20 million in relief funds intended for small businesses, businesses excuse me, during the pandemic. Now, they also brought some family members along for this ride, if you guys didn't know. Uh, the couple was found guilty of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, but his brother was actually convic convicted of aggravated identity theft. So according to court documents and evidence presented at trial, they used stolen identities, which included the names of dead people, foreign exchange students who briefly visited the United States years ago. Okay. They literally submitted fraudulent applications, by the way, for a hundred and four. 150, 150 federal pandemic relief loans for sham businesses, 150 of them, my God, to support each of the 150 fraudulent loan applications. They had fake identity documents to go along with falsified tax forms and payroll records to lenders. I'm going to say this right now. I will give them props for all the amount of hard work they did in this scheme. But imagine if they would actually have used this amount of effort in doing something like an actual business. I mean, let's be honest. It seemed to, to have been fairly thought out, like, like 150 of them. 
And maybe they maybe they they would have gotten away with this thing if it wouldn't have been 150. Maybe they did 10. But the main thing that probably you know I don't know got the got the government to look at them is the fact that they live such a lavish lifestyle off the funds that were actually given given to them or gifted to them. I guess you would say from this scheme. The couple, along with the brother, okay, and five other co-conspirators, are thought it would be smart to actually go out and utilize this money to buy mansions in three different California cities, Tarzania, Glendale, and Palm Desert. I only know of one of these cities personally. That is because my aunt actually lives in one of them, and I can assure you it is very, very expensive to live inside this area. But that isn't saying much because we're talking about California where a cardboard house is worth $100,000. Like, let's just be honest. We all know this. It's It's... Absurd, maybe not a cardboard house, but you understand what I mean. So they also bought a ton of gold coins, diamond furniture, luxury watches, and a Harley Davidson. Now the FBI is currently offering a $20,000 reward for the information leading to their arrest. And I will say it is somewhat strange that a grandmother, by the way, who ended up getting the court-appointed guardian uh, guardianship, decided she wanted to file for an emergency passport for the kids to allow them to travel to Armenia where they have relatives. Uh, the United States government also thought this was somewhat strange, and they were denied. So, I mean, I, I stumble across some weird stuff. I mean, I, I that, that going down the rabbit holes inside of Ukraine, Russia, um, I, that, that brought me down some really weird stuff. But th- this stuff, when I'm trying to research for this thing, I stumbled upon some really strange stuff. And honestly, the next one doesn't even seem real. So I spent this, the last seven years, I guess not the last seven years, but I spent seven years myself inside the Army. So I know there's, there's some strange folks in it. And it's mainly due to the fact that you have so many different people from different walks of life mashed into a group that is supposed to mesh like a team. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? You have so many people from all over the world. I mean, I say all over the world, but all over the United States. I mean, from down in Texas to New York to California, Washington, Florida, all those people are going to have different viewpoints. And they're just mashed in. They all, some for the most part, want to serve or they're doing it for other reasons. Some don't want to go to jail. I served with guys that were literally about to go to jail. Uh, and they had a choice. The judge gave them a choice to go to the Army or go to jail. Of course, they're going to change or choose go to the Army. Some that just want to do it just to get free college, which I get it. And then you have some that have nothing going on in their life like I did. And that was your choice. That's all you had to do. And... Sometimes these teams, they don't really mesh. And you end up with stories like this. And, and that's pretty much it. There, there's a 24-year-old private in the 173rd Airborne Brigade named Ethan Melzer. So apparently, in this private time, in this, well, I guess it, that in this private's private time, it's kind of strange saying it like that, this guy actually was linked to performing blood rituals, as it's so weird to say, read obscure and gruesome tactics about torturing and child abuse, collected violent iconography, and found like minds in the depth of Telegram, which I can assure you after doing so much research on Russia and Ukraine, Telegram is a wild, wild, unregulated place. It is the deep, dark web. And that is why I use VPNs. Like that is the main, like that right there is, is a crazy place. Now on his account, he claimed that enlisting in the army was a, to like a ruse and wrote that he joined up solely to gain knowledge of military weaponry and tactics. Now I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you're brand new in the military, you're like a private, which this gentleman was, you're only going to be fed the most low-level tactics you possibly could imagine. I'm talking the most basic, reactive contact. You're, not, you're going to learn about machine guns and stuff like that, but it takes years to be proficient at these kind of things and actually utilizing them. Like, you just getting in, you're not going to learn that much. Like, let's be honest. Like, learning tactics as a private, you're, you're not, you're having to be taught so much. You're being, having your hands being held as you're doing things. 
And I don't know what he was really trying to learn. Maybe how to use a, a assault rifle. I, I don't. I don't. I don't really know. Like in his eyes, maybe maybe I can go on here and be trained how to use an assault rifle. This is his mind. When in fact, it's really not that difficult. You can literally take a course and get just the same amount of military training. For the most part, all these courses outside the military are literally ex-military members training people. Like I know this for a fact. Anyway, this gentleman. Uh, he wanted the great training and added cryptic remarks about how all places that he was at while he was in needed to be burned. This private actually flew under the radar fairly well, apparently, or he says, or he says he did at least. So I can assure you guys right now, if you guys were to ask his leadership, they would say that there was something wrong with this gentleman. But for the most time, uh, there isn't really anything you guys can do. Like during a time of peace, there's not a lot you can do. And even more so when you're, when you're in a time of war, it's a lot easier. Now, when I was in, it was a bit easier to get rid of someone who not only just did not fit in, but didn't really adapt to the army life is the best way to put it. Because you guys can actually make the claim that they would be getting himself or others killed, which honestly is going to be the case. Now, you never want to be put inside of the situation like yourself uh, with someone you didn't trust while bullets were actually flying down rage or at you. You want to be around people that you actually trust. So anyways, this guy had written and wrote, I guess you would say, on Telegram that, and I quote, I fly under the radar already, Act completely normal around other people outside and don't talk about my personal life or beliefs with anyone. Now, this guy actually claimed that he was conducting what he called an insight role. An insight role. Yes, not an inside. An insight role by both infiltrating and subverting an institution which is one of the core tenets of the Order of the Nine Angels, which is a secret, bloodthirsty Nazi sect. Like, this is, this is weird. This is very strange. Like, we're talking about some... I didn't even want to get like deep diving into it because it was so weird, like so strange. But apparently this group has crossed pollinated with some of the new age neo-Nazi worldview, which courts like this is so weird. I don't just talking about it. But anyway, they pollinated cross pollinated. That is with the wannabe 21st century group of American extremists who celebrated the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. The spring of 2020, this is when it gets really weird. Uh, Meltzer learned of the nine or the uh, 173rd Airborne Brigade's upcoming deployment to Turkey. Now, prosecutors allege that Meltzer passed on highly classified details of his unit's forthcoming assignment to people on Telegram and to a person he actually believed was a member of Al Qaeda. So that's that's even more like weird. Okay. Now, the intelligence was actually sent with the intent of having the 173rd ambushed by terrorists and triggering a mass cow event, which is nothing more than the term used for mass casualty. Now, in back and forth text through Telegram, according to evidence, Meltzer and his alleged Al Qaeda contact were discussing the location of the base. Now, the precise number of personnel stationed there and the defensive or the unit's defensive capabilities. So this gentleman was literally giving all the information to the so-called Al-Qaeda gentleman. Now, the proposed carnage apparently didn't even bother him one bit, and he actually enjoyed the idea of, of a potential fallout from a massacre of American soldiers by jihadis, even if it meant losing his own life. Yes, he was saying this kind of stuff openly on Telegram to people he didn't even know. Now, he was arrested by the military investigators right before the actual uh, 173rd's uh, expected deployment date to Turkey. 
He was branded as the enemy within by the United States Attorney of the Southern District of New York. Melzer, of course, has pleaded not guilty on all accounts. Now, to make this story even more crazy than what it already was, uh, apparently, in Melzer's case, this is this is homegrown, this is what they're calling homegrown attack that would have been caused by a blowback of an 18-year undercover informant operation. Now, the gentleman who was publishing all the material that he was actually getting it from, like Melzer was actually getting it from, was was an FBI informant who was actually apparently being paid $140,000 a year, allegedly, and none of the material he was publishing was being checked on. So not only was Melzer getting his information on how to act from this from this crazy dude on Telegram, but it was actually an informant of the FBI who was paying him $140,000 a year. Like, talk, talk about, like, that's what I'm talking about. When you go down these, these weird rabbit holes, you end up here. Like, how did I, how did I end up just searching weird news stuff on the internet and ended up down this rabbit hole? And this article has been out, uh, this news story, I guess you say, has been out for well over a month and I've never even heard of it. That's, that's, this is, this is the reason why I thought doing these kind of, these podcasts and these kind of episodes would really kind of like spurt, like, what the, and this is something that I would have never thought of. Okay. Now, I was uh, somewhat disturbing, and these kind of people are within the ranks of the military, but like I said at the beginning, you have so many people from different walks of life being let in. It's bound to happen that some will slip through the cracks, and honestly, it comes down to the leaderships to start digging into these men and finding out what kind of men they actually have under their command. I actually think it has a lot to do, like, I think this could have been, I, I know the Army is getting a lot softer with all these new regulations that Biden and putting it in, so, so on and so forth, but I, I'm telling you right now, this comes down to leadership. Leadership could have found out, and they should have been doing checks, barracks checks on their men, like this, this 100%. Now, on a lighter side, <laughs> yeah, on a lighter side, no pun intended on this next one, because it's it's not nearly as dark as the last one, but apparently TikTokers inside of Pakistan or allegedly setting forced on fire to spice up their videos. I did like I don't I don't watch TikTok. I hate TikTok. I think it's terrible. TikTok myself, I, I think it needs to go away and just de- de- completely deleted from the internet because it's nothing more than a platform that turns your brain into mush. I don't like it. I don't even like my daughter watching it. I I, I think it's terrible. Like, what what kind of like I, you guys know this? I mean, I've, I've been a I've been a YouTuber for almost seven years now, and I just started getting the podcast over the last year. But when, when us YouTubers look at TikTokers, you're like, that is not content. Like, what are you doing? You're sitting, like, I saw some people actually doing one last night at a, a, a movie theater. They were doing a dance just randomly. The thing is, you're, like, doing it in public. Like, it's just awkward. What are you doing? It's so weird. Anyway, apparently these fires were set during a heat wave, by the way, that saw temperatures soar to 124 degrees in parts of the country. There's a video that's been since taken down of a dark-haired woman who struts in her silver dress as the hills are burning behind her. <laughs> that's the way that it was portrayed. Her caption read, fires erupt where I am. Uh, this, this one TikTok influencer has 11 million followers on the platform is apparently setting fires in the Margala Hills National Park, which is violating the country's environmental laws. I don't, I don't know. I personally confused as to why someone would want to set a force on fire for views, but apparently this is a thing in Pakistan, but there's a video, by the way, of two men lighting multiple parts of a forest on fire, then running away while music plays. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a YouTube YouTuber inside of me and, 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 and talking like, why, why would somebody do this to get views? I know that Logan Paul made a huge, huge mistake a couple of years ago when he went into Japan and to do the death force, I guess you would call it. And hey. Anyway, and people thought he was done and he came back and he spurred back to life and now he's mega. He's probably one of the best 
I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of people don't realize it, but he's probably one of the better businessmen uh, when it comes to marketing on YouTube and social media there is. Him and his brother, phenomenal. Uh, but him, I think he's a bit more... I, I'm not going to take it away from Jake. Jake's extremely smart, but I'm talking about Logan is more business-minded than I think his brother is. That doesn't really matter. Off topic, but... Anyway, for one thing, this isn't content that people really want to watch. When we talk about setting a, a freaking field on fire or a forest on fire they're only here to see what really happens and, and when you guys got to think about when you're talking about youtubers they're looking for views now the thing about youtubers is not views and the only thing they got to they got to learn how to convert and that's an entire entire episode in itself a youtuber's value is not about how many views he gets it's how well his conversion rate is that's that's the truth and anyway i just want to bring this one up because it's something that we wouldn't have believed to be a thing even five years ago but i guess people do literally just about anything to become fun or to become famous on the internet especially tiktok which is brain melting cancerous content so this next one is actually karma hitting back instantly like what i mean instantly instantly joseph mckinnon strangled his girlfriend patricia dent and then died while trying to bury her body in their garden Police originally have actually received a call about an unresponsive man who was lying in his yard in Trenton, South Carolina. They found out that the man had actually died of a heart attack, but then also found a body of a woman who ended up being his girlfriend in a nearby pit. Now, evidence gathered at this scene, along with statements from the witnesses, aided them in building a timeline where Mr. McKinnon attacked Mrs. Dent uh, while inside their home. He bound her, wrapped her in trash bags before putting her in a previously dug out pit. Now, this pit was partially filled, okay, when they found him, it was partially filled by Mr. McKinnon, that is. And while covering the pit up, they've actually found out that he had a cardiac event while that caused his death. Okay. Now, they had no idea what was inside this pit. Now, the thing is, the police hadn't found the body of his girlfriend right away. They had no idea. They literally had no idea she was there. Now, after searching the home that they'd shared, police had actually reached out to Mrs. Dent's colleagues at work and her coworkers actually said that she had missed a few uh, mornings there at work which is not like her, I guess. And they hadn't responded any, or she hadn't responded to any messages whatsoever. So police then searched the premises after finding blood inside their home. They returned to the garden where he had actually died, uh, trying to fill in that pit. The neighbor had told the police that, the, that he had dug this pit out for a new water feature. But of course, the police found something else inside of the pit. I don't really know what stemmed them to actually go in there and start digging around. Uh, they'd gotten down inside this pit, and after removing some of the dirt, they found a garbage bag with their body inside of it, which had actually been badly bruised. So an autopsy actually later confirmed that Mr. McKidden had died of a cardiac arrest and that Mrs. Dent had been strangled. So police believe that after hitting and then choking Miss Dent, Mr. McKinnon had then bound her with tape, wrapped her body in garbage bags, and then put her in that pit that he had apparently dug out to be a water feature. He then... I, I, I I don't know. He brought her into this, this backyard, and then while he was actually trying to bury her covered up, he then suffered a heart attack. So the more I dug into this guy, he had actually no prior history of domestic abuse whatsoever. It didn't say anything about drugs, anything about alcohol in the system. It makes you really wonder what an individual that snaps, like what makes him snap after being alive for like, what, 65 plus years? What makes him want to do this? You know what I mean? Like out, like out of the gate. It's just so strange. And talk about karma hitting you like really quick. I mean, literally you're trying to bury the woman you just beat and strangled and then you die of a heart attack. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. 
also featuring major industry players, global brands, and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus, creator meetups, networking, and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. So I'm going to end this first one, this first episode, on something a bit more light and uh, strange, also very disgusting. Uh, it's probably the best way to put it. It starts off by, I, I, I don't know. I, it's just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You would have thought this would have been on like one of the, the newsstands uh, where they have like those, what's the best way to put it? Uh, Enquirer, I, I think is what they're called. I think that's one of them. The National Enquirer, that, does that sound right? I think a lot of people, you know what I'm talking about? You know, at the grocery store and the end cap is like some, some fake newspaper and it's like, Michael Jackson's rose, rose for the dead and he's now got six lovers or something. You're like, what the, f- what, the what, what are you talking about? Um, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you guys do. Now, there's footage out there. If you guys want to go and search for it of this thing I'm about to talk about, I didn't go and search for it because I really did not want to see it. Uh, apparently, an Arby's manager inside of Washington State got caught peeing into a bag of milkshake mix. Yes, the mix. The, literally the mix. So strange. Uh, this was actually only uncovered because the police were executing a search warrant on his phone as part of a child pornography investigation. So they weren't there because he was peeing inside of milkshake bags. They're there because he was uh, into child pornography. Like, this is this is a weird... The more I went into this one, I was like, what in the actual world is going on here? Um, yes, this milkshake mix was used and had been apparently served to over a dozen people. This is, this is when it gets kind of strange. So a 29-year-old man, he was a manager at an Arby's. I mean, I don't even know. For one, the child pornography thing is way worse than peeing into a bag of milkshake mix. But what in the world makes you want to pee in a bag of milkshake mix in the first place? Like that's a, that's like I get it. You're you're a weirdo that likes child pornography. We should probably put you behind bars for the rest of your life and cut off everything you got. That you know what I mean? Like that's like one of the grossest, worst things ever. But peeing into a bag of milkshake mix. So this guy he made a one court appearance on a Wednesday for the child pornography allegations, and then another one on Friday for a new allegation. It ends up being. This is even weirder. Sexual degree assault with sexual motivation. Like that that's what he got hit with because he actually admitted something that, that gave him the sexual motivation. After police found a 16 second urination video. Yes. 16 I mean that had to be one heck of a pee for 16 seconds. But anyway, 16 seconds he urinated into this bag. They didn't find this video on security cameras, just just to remind you. This wasn't on any type of security cameras. So who knows what else this guy had been doing inside the Arby's because apparently he admitted to urinating in the milkshake bag at least twice and said that he was almost, yes, he was almost sure he threw the bag out. I don't know how you can be almost sure of something, but he said that he was working alone in the restaurant that night and he did it for sexual gratification. God, that's what got him the, uh, the, the what was it? The sexual motivation charge. Second degree assault was sexual motivation because he said he did it because of sexual gratification. He also said that if he didn't throw the bag away, he said that if he didn't throw this bag away, that is, it would have actually been added to the other mix. Yes. Let me repeat that. He stated beforehand that he thought he did throw it away. Like he was like, ah, I'm almost sure I did. But he said that if he didn't throw the bag away, it would have been added to the other mix by the next shift and then served to customers. So by him saying that, Guess what? The, the, the cops had to do a little bit of digging. 
The other manager at the RB stated that the restaurant sold at least one ice cream float in 34, <laughs> oh my God, 30 to 40 milkshakes that day. But just to make everybody feel better, if you guys drank a milkshake from a Vancouver Mill Plain neighborhood Arby's, just so you know, just so you're aware, there is no significant health risk to consuming a drink contaminated with urine. And that is coming directly from the Clark County Public Health Director themselves. So I also want to point something else. This gentleman that was urinating in bags and doing child pornography stuff, his bail was originally set at $5,000 just for the child pornography stuff, just for that just for that one charge. But then it was bumped up to forty grand after peeing in milkshake bags. I would have thought that the bail for these predators would have been much higher than just $5,000. I can't be the only one that, that, that agrees with that. That's absolutely disgusting. And what in the world is going on? But anyway. There you go. That is episode one. If you guys did enjoy this, please, like I said, follow along. We're going to do a couple a week if possible. If you guys like them, you guys let me know. Somehow let me know. I don't leave a review. Yeah, leave a review. That's how you're going to let me know if you guys like these. And if you do, we'll continue. If you don't, I guess I'll have to figure something out with my life because maybe I'm just not meant for this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, I do love you guys. I am uh, I'm out of here and I will see you guys on another one of these episodes here, hopefully in the next couple of days. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. <laughs>